If you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 11, and that's where we are today. We're in a sermon series called In His Steps, where we've been walking through the life of Jesus Christ chronologically. During the service, there will be a phone number on your bulletin insert as well as on the bottom of the slide, and that means that you can text a question. As long as that question relates to uh, what I'm preaching about today, we would love to have you text any questions you may have. And towards the end of the service, we, I'll do my best to answer them, respond to them uh, as best as possible, time permitting. So there is a bit of a lag uh, with, with uh, getting them to our tech people and then them getting to me. So just make sure if you have a question that comes up, shoot it as quickly as you can to us and we'll get it answered. If possible, if we if, if if it comes in late and we don't get it, then we'll do a video like we did this past week, post it on our Facebook page and Instagram, so that if you drop if you uh, give us a question, we'll we'll answer it as quickly as we can, or or uh, either today or during the week. When I was a kid in children's church, they would all, the children's pastor would always make us quote scripture. We always had to memorize scripture, and I'm not good with memorization. Uh, which is one of the reasons why I have my iPad with my sermon on it, because I just have trouble memorizing things. And so our children's pastor was, would always try to drill Scripture into us. What's your favorite Scripture? What's your favorite Scripture? And so finally, it got to me, and finally I, I thought of something, and I said, John 11.35. So the children's pastor would say, all right, Jason, what does it say? And I said, Jesus wept. And I remembered that because it's the shortest verse in the Bible. How can you mess that up? As long as you remember where it is and two words, you have a scripture verse. So the children's pastor would tell me, the preacher's kid, that doesn't count. And I would say, "Um, are you telling me that a verse in the Bible is unimportant? You just wait till my dad hears about this. And they would always backtrack and go, whoa, 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 whoa. Well, I'm not saying it's not important, but, but could you quote another verse? And I'm like, no, you asked my, for my favorite verse and that's it. <clears throat> but a very wise man said one time, why use many word when few word do trick? Why? <laughs> For those of you that are fans of The Office, there you go. Why use many word when few word do trick? So my favorite verse was John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. And, and there's a reason now it means a little something different to me now than it did then. But if I summarized John chapter 11 into one big idea, it would be this. And you have a blank on your, on your bulletin insert if you want to follow along and fill it in. It's this statement. This is the big idea. Regardless of the obstacle, regardless of the impossibility, never forget that Jesus always gets the last word. And that is one of our slides. Jesus always gets the last word. Never, ever, ever forget that. It doesn't matter what the situation looks like. It doesn't matter what anybody else has told you is going to happen. Jesus always gets the last word. And to illustrate that point, we'll look at one of my favorite stories found in John chapter 11. Now, to set this up really quickly, 
Jesus has just finished teaching his disciples and, and, and the group of people about the kingdom of God when the events of John chapter 11 take place. Jesus was in a town a little uh, apart from, about a day away from the city of Bethany, which is the, where the events of John 11 take place. So he's a day away in another town, and he, is, he has taught the story about the rich man and Lazarus, which is the message I shared last week. Now, this Lazarus and the rich man and Lazarus is different from the Lazarus we're about to uh, have a conversation about. And so this Lazarus in John chapter 11 is the brother of Mary and Martha, who all lived in the town of Bethany. Well, these sisters sent word to Jesus that Lazarus is sick. Specifically, their message to Jesus was, Lord, he who you love is ill. Now, I don't know if they meant to lay a guilt trip on Jesus, but it certainly sounds like it. Jesus, your BFF is sick. He's weak. He's powerless. Jesus got the message and he told his disciples and those he was teaching, he said, this illness does not lead to death for it, it, it is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus told them that everything would be okay for Lazarus and that he, the son of God, would be glorified through what was about to happen. And this is incredibly important right here because Jesus again refers to himself as the son of God. And that is a title that Jehovah's Witnesses, that Muslims and others claim Jesus never said about himself. And yet... He did here in John chapter 11, verse 4, referring to himself as the Son of God. John chapter 11, verses 5 through 6, says this. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. When he heard Lazarus was sick, He stayed where he was for two more days. Jesus loved this family. He cared for them. They they had cared for him. They had fed him. They had given him a place to stay. They had provided for him. And they had become dear to him. Typically when somebody close to you is ill, you stop what you're doing and you rush to their side. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus loved this family, so when he heard Lazarus was sick, he decided to wait longer to visit them. Why the delay? Why not leave immediately? Why not just pack up and go, Jesus? Surely this would be seen as a slight towards Mary and Martha, who informed him of Lazarus' illness and inferred an immediate invitation to come and do something about it. Jesus, in his wisdom, knew what was about to happen. And he knew that what he was going to do would overcome any slight, any offense at his delay. When wrestling with this passage and seeing God work in my own life, I've come to realize this truth. God's delays are not denials. God's delays are not denials. We have such limited vision such limited knowledge, such limited vision 
But God does not. He can see the past, present, and future in perfect clarity. He knows the obstacles and trials that we face before they even pop up on our radar. He knows, and he's prepared a way through those valleys. Sometimes we know God's going to do something. We know he's going to move. He's going to act on our behalf. He's going to provide a miracle. We know it. But instead of taking 10 steps forward, it feels like we're knocked 30 steps back. We think to ourselves, Jesus, this would be a perfect time for a miracle. But a miracle doesn't come when we think that it should. We're left questioning God. God, do you really love me? Do you really see what I'm dealing with? Do you really know? Do you even really care what I'm going through? While we're in Bethany needing a miracle, Jesus is lingering in some other town, specifically taking his own sweet time. But if you know how this story goes, then you know that God's delays are not God's denials. Just because God is delaying does not mean that he's ignoring you or indifferent towards you or unwilling to do something for you. To Jesus, it doesn't matter whether you're sick or dead. He can work a miracle all the same. Whether you're on the verge of a breakthrough or you're having a nervous breakdown, he can work a miracle all the same. Whether things are looking up or whether you're so far down in the pit you have nowhere to look but up, he can work a miracle all the same. God's delays are not God's denials. If God has made a promise to you, over you, or about you, you can have 100% assurance that God will keep his promises. In the midst of Jerusalem being assaulted by the Assyrian army during King Hezekiah's reign, God spoke promise after promise to Israel through the prophet Isaiah. For generations, Israel had been unfaithful to God. He had sent them prophets warning them that if they did not return to him, they would be destroyed. But he had also promised that if they would return, if they would put off their idolatry, he would protect and bless them. God spoke to Israel in Isaiah 55, verses 6 through 11, and he said this, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways declares the Lord. For as high Uh, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return from there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, 
giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word that goes forth out of my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. If God has made you a promise, you might experience some delay. The enemy doesn't want you to receive anything from God. He will fight it. He'll make other situations in your life go sour. He'll look for the weakest link in your life, in your family, in your job, in your, in your situation, and he will do all he can to expose that so that you doubt God's presence and you doubt God's provision. But just like the toothless lion that he is, all he can do is make noise. He cannot stop any promise from God. He can try to delay it. He can try to get you to give up on it. He can try to make you doubt it, but nothing can stop a promise from God. God said of his own promises in Isaiah 55, 11, that his words do not come back to him empty, but they accomplish his purposes and they succeed every single time. Jesus got the news about Lazarus, waited two days, and then walked back to Bethany with his disciples. He told his disciples in John eleven eleven. he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to wake him up. His clueless disciples said, well, if he's, if he's sleeping, that's a good thing. He'll get better. <clears throat> Jesus had used a metaphor for death, and they didn't get it. So Jesus had told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And if I had been there when he died, things would have gone differently. So it's a good thing I delayed so that you'll believe in me. It's a good thing that he died? So then Thomas chimed in. Thomas doesn't speak up often, but when he does, you really should put a star next to it because it's going to be a riot. Thomas chimed in and said, let's go that we can die with Lazarus. There's always that person that takes things too far. There's always that guy who's just a little bit too extreme. And the disciples probably looked at Thomas like, who invited you? Why are we bringing this guy with us? He's crazy. Jesus didn't even seem to respond to Thomas's outburst. He probably just shook his head and said, come on, guys, let's go. Jesus came close to Bethany where Lazarus was where Mary and Martha were. Word got to Mary and Martha that Jesus was coming. The first time we're introduced to these sisters, it's a story we covered several months ago. Mary drew, new to, drew near to Jesus and Martha stayed away in the kitchen. This time their roles are reversed. Martha runs out to Jesus and Mary stays behind. And in my opinion, Martha, again, asserted a little bit of a passive-aggressive personality to Jesus. She said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. You want to talk about a guilt trip. If you hadn't delayed, if something else hadn't been more important to you, Lazarus would still be alive. Our breadwinner, our protector, our loved one would still be alive. Grief and sadness would not have come to our door, but you lingered, Jesus. 
You waited, you delayed, and look at what's happened. Jesus replied to Martha, your brother will rise again. Martha acknowledged that she knew he'd rise at the resurrection of the dead at the end of days. Jesus replied, and I love this in Hebrew. It's probably not going to mean anything to anybody, but I love it in Hebrew. Ani hatachaya va'ani hachaim. And just saying that to people, they don't know what you're saying. They're like, whoa, 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 dial down the aggression, man. But he said, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Jesus asked Mary to come out and meet him as he had not come all the way into Bethany yet. Mary gets the word. She hops up. She runs out, goes to meet Jesus. When Mary came to where Jesus was, she fell down at his feet, and she said the exact same thing that Martha did. Lord, if you had been here, our brother wouldn't have died. And yet... Jesus' response to Mary is different than his response to Martha. And this is a good reminder to us. Stop comparing your spiritual experiences to other people's. Stop comparing your spiritual experiences to other people's. God meets people on an individual basis. He works in them, he makes promises to them, and he gives them spiritual gifts on an individual basis. This is not a one-size-fits-all spiritual experience with Jesus. I hate one-size-fits-all because that means the manufacturer is making a very big assumption that they put enough elastic in this thing to fit my son and to fit me, and that's a big assumption, I think. My son wears adult small. I do not. I'm not going to tell you what size I wear, but I don't wear adult small. And sometimes, if it's a one-size-fits-all, you can see the elastic holding on for dear life. God works in us and through us individually. This is not a one-size-fits-all spiritual experience. Don't compare your experience to someone else's. God's got plenty of promises and experiences for everybody, and he doesn't need us filling our hearts with envy and jealousy at what he's already doing for someone else. Jesus saw Mary weeping at his feet and their friends that came with her who were all weeping, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. John's account of this story says that Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled, and on the surface... It seems like Jesus is moved with compassion and starts to get choked up about it. But the Greek word here for deeply moved means to be very angry. The way Jesus has corrected his disciples that have seen him perform miracle after miracle, it seems that Jesus gets aggravated that these people who were so close to him have no faith in what he can do. Why don't you believe that I can do the impossible? But this is why they have no faith. Even if Jesus could bring back the dead as he had done times before, Jewish tradition taught this. For three days after death, the soul hovers over the body, intending to re-enter it. This is a Jewish, this is not from scripture, this is Jewish tradition that taught for three days 
The soul desires to re-enter the body. It lingers around the body. It does not yet go to heaven, but it lingers around the body desiring to re-enter it. Jesus could have gotten to Lazarus to prevent his death. Jesus even had three days after Lazarus died to raise him from the dead because that's what they believed. Now, again, that's not scriptural, but that was their belief. That a person's soul hovered near the body, making resurrection possible within the first three days. And every time Jesus had raised someone from the dead, it had been within about 24 hours of their death or less. But Lazarus has been dead for four days. Jesus missed his window. Resurrection is now impossible. Lazarus' soul is gone to heaven, and he could not be raised from the dead now. He wouldn't see a resurrection until the end of days. And I think that's what got Jesus angry, because they valued their traditions and opinions over the word from the Lord. He will rise again. They took Jesus to the place where Lazarus was buried, and my favorite verse of Scripture, John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. It's interesting, and this is what you need to notice. John, the writer of the gospel of John, he uses one word to describe Mary and Martha's weeping, and he uses a completely different word to describe Jesus wept. The word that is used here um, is shed tears. Here's the difference. You weep when you don't know the outcome. You weep when all hope is lost. You weep when the worst has hit you and there's no end in sight. You weep when it's all over and nothing has gone according to plan. But technically, Jesus didn't weep. Jesus shed tears. Jesus didn't need to weep because he already knew the outcome. He didn't need to weep because hope was not lost. He didn't need to weep because death's reign over God's people was the only thing that was ending. He didn't need to weep because everything was going according to his plan, and it isn't over until Jesus says it's over. So Jesus technically didn't weep. Jesus shed tears. The crowd had two responses to Jesus' tears. One group said, aww, See how much Jesus loved Lazarus? And another group said, yeah, but since he's the guy that restored sight to the blind, couldn't he have kept Lazarus alive? So Jesus is deeply moved again, which means he's angry again. Angry at death taking someone close to him that he loved and angry at the lack of faith from his followers and probably a little bit angry or a lot angry at the cynics and the skeptics and the criticizers of his ministry. There will be people who will pat you on the back and stab you in the back, sometimes at the same time. If you tell people what God's promised to do for you, there will be people who will stand alongside you. People who believe God with you. And there will be people who will be filled with envy and jealousy towards you because they want the same thing. And there will be people who will doubt and say, oh, honey, that's not going to happen. You're too old to have children now. You're past your prime. Time's run out on that promise. 
If God wanted to do that for you, he would have done it by now. One of the things that Jesus did when he was surrounded by naysayers and doubters was he kicked them out of the house where he was. He kicked them out. He wasn't worried about his, the way he, it looked. If Jesus didn't need that negativity in his life, you don't need it in yours. Some people need to be unfriended. Some people need to be unfollowed. Some people need to be silenced. If all they say is negative and they're making you doubt the promises of God, then they're actually taking the devil's place in your life and you don't need it. Give them the boot in love. Jesus is not passive. He's very active. Roll away the stone from Lazarus's grave. Martha who had just declared in John eleven twenty seven that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God, she protested. She said to him, Lord, one of the other great verses in Scripture, Lord, by now he stinketh. He stinks. He's been dead for four days. In case you haven't been paying attention, Jesus, he stinks. Sometimes I just try to imagine the look on Jesus' face when people say dumb things to him. When he tells them what to do, when he tells them what's going to happen, and they still don't get it. I know he's patient, but at the same time, he does get angry when people who should have faith only talk in doubts. And what we learn is that God is not hindered by delay, by death, or even by decay. When Jesus says, roll away the stone, when Jesus says that what you think is dead is only sleeping, then you'd better shake off those doubts and be willing to step out in faith. Jesus told Martha, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see God's glory? So they rolled away the stone. Jesus prays this unusual prayer. He said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you've sent me. That's a weird prayer. Why? Because only God had the power to bring back life from death. Only God can bring back the dead. But they believed that only God had a three-day window to work in. Here it is, the fourth day. Lazarus is not only dead, he started to stink. He started to decay. This just isn't possible, Jesus. And yet, John eleven forty three, 43, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. I'm glad Jesus was specific because he, if he had just said, come out, all the dead people would have walked out. And it would have been really freaky. The Walking Dead, New Testament edition. So he was specific. Lazarus, come out. Can you even imagine the tension in the air? Place yourself as one of those people who are there, who who have been comforting Mary and Martha. Jesus, the man you believe to be the Messiah, has just thrown down the gauntlet. 
He'll either look like a fool, which is what most people expected, or he will demonstrate that he truly is God. So your eyes dart from Jesus to the tomb. Back to Jesus. Back to the tomb. All of a sudden, someone says, I hear something. And immediately, Bethany becomes the quietest place, the most silent town on the whole planet. Nobody moves. Nobody speaks. Every ear is leaning towards the tomb. Someone speaks up. I hear something. I hear something. It sounds like shuffling feet. And everyone struggles from the afternoon sun to look deep into that dark tomb. Lazarus, bound from head to toe with burial clothes, shuffled his feet out of the tomb that day, and the place just erupted. Cheers went up. Celebration exploded in Bethany. Instead of weeping in fear and grief, they were shedding shedding tears of joy. Jesus had done the impossible yet again, overcoming any tradition, overcoming any hindrance, any limitation that they could possibly place on him, which leads us to this truth. The limitations we place on God don't really apply to him. Today is Pentecost Sunday. If the disciples had started to speak in tongues on the day of Pentecost and then gone, whoa, 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 we got to stop this. There's no Old Testament precedent for this. There's no scripture that tells us we are allowed to do this or we can do this or what this even is. If they had stopped, they would have missed out on that experience. If they had decided to limit what God can and cannot do, they would have missed out on something tremendous, the empowering of God for them to take the gospel into all the world. The limitations we place on God don't really apply to him. The hopes, the dreams, the goals that you may have set for yourself that haven't happened yet, the things that the sun has appeared to set on, the things that are delayed or dead or even decaying that you have given up on, don't let your doubts get the final word. Don't let the skeptics, don't let the cynics, the naysayers, or the fatalists have the final word. The limits we place on God do not really apply to him. He can heal the sick. He can raise the dead. He can take something that's so dead it started to stink and bring it back to life. And you may look at a promise from God and say to yourself, well, God, you missed your window. Don't let Martha's words be the final word. He's been dead for four days. He stinks. Don't let that be your thoughts. God, you missed your window. If this story teaches you anything, it's that God never misses his window because limitations don't apply to him. He can bring somebody back from the dead one hour after they've died just as easily as he can four days after they've died. It doesn't matter. There is no limitation with Jesus Christ. Worship team, come on up. There is a question submitted. It says, how long did it take for Jesus to go to Bethany after the two days delay? It must, not, it must be not only two days delay because when Jesus arrived and woke Lazarus, they said he had been dead for four days. So what they believe is that Jesus was in a town about a day away. And so when he gets the news, he stays there. He's two days away. I'm sorry, he's one day away. He stays for two days. 
And so then it takes him a day to get there. And so basically by the time Jesus gets there, Lazarus has been dead for four days, which means that probably Lazarus died before uh, the messengers got to Jesus, who was a day away. So we know that he not only was a day away, but I mean, ultimately Lazarus was going to die before Jesus could get there. And so he was like, you know what, if he's going to die, let's just blow some Jewish tradition out of the water. Let's blow this limitation that you think that I have, that you think what I can and cannot do. Let's just totally eradicate that out of your minds. So by the time Jesus gets there, Lazarus has been dead for four days. And I love the fact that Jesus tells his disciples he's sleeping. We're going to wake him up. See, when Jesus comes into the situation, all the dead things we think are dead, they're not really dead. They're just sleeping. And then when he's ready, in his timing, all he's got to do is just wake him up. It's no work for him. It's no more work for him to raise something from the dead on one hour or four days after death. Jesus can still do it. The story of Lazarus, why don't you stand with me this morning? The story of Lazarus should fill us with tremendous faith and hope that nothing is impossible with God. But Lazarus walking out of that grave, that's not the end of the story. In John chapter 12, Jesus had gained so much fame from raising Lazarus from the dead that the religious leaders sought to put to death not only Jesus, but Lazarus. They wanted to kill Lazarus. Lazarus is like, I didn't do anything. I'm, I was dead, man. And when we look at, you know, whose faith is it that did the miracle? Well, it wasn't Lazarus's faith because Lazarus is dead. He has no faith. Literally, his faith is dead. And Jesus spoke the word and brought him back from the dead. And so the religious leaders are like, we're going to not only kill Jesus, we're going to kill Lazarus too. If they could kill what Jesus had raised, they might just be able to squash this spiritual revolution. And this tells me, folks, the fight's never over. Even when God comes through miraculously for us, even when God gives the devil a black eye, He'll, the devil will still keep fighting to kill what God has brought to life, to steal what God has given you, or to destroy what God has built. The enemy will fight you, and he'll keep fighting you. But just remember that Jesus always gets the last word. When you are in God's hands, when you're in God's will, when you are surrendered to him, nothing can harm you without his knowledge or his permission. The priests tried to kill Lazarus, but they couldn't kill what Jesus had declared was alive and well. All of us are dead and buried in our sin and shame. We were spiritually entombed with no way out, no hope, no way to rescue ourselves. But then Jesus called out with a loud voice so that everyone, even the devil, could hear him, come forth and everything that was dead in us was brought forth into new life and now we can stay in the grave if we want Lazarus didn't have to walk out he could have woken up and go I'm all right I'm okay y'all come in here but when we we can be comfortable in our grave clothes 
we can get comfortable. We, God can do the work in our lives and we can still go, you know, I'm good. I'm okay. I'd like to stay where I am. But when God calls your name, you better run out of that grave. When God speaks life into dead things, dead dreams, dead hopes, dead relationships, you need to run out of that grave, out of the darkness, into his glorious day. We're going to, the worship team is going to close our service with a final song. I encourage you, let God speak life into something that's dead. Maybe it's a a family member that is not right with the Lord and you have prayed and prayed and prayed and instead of getting better, they've gotten worse. Instead of surrendering to the Lord, they've turned the other direction. Keep praying, keep believing. Whatever is dead in your life, maybe a family member, a friend, a relationship, a job, a dream, a goal, a hope, whatever it can be, let God surrender to him and then let the voice of the Lord silence those doubts and fears. In whatever delayed or dead situation you're facing, let his word be the last word. Let today be a glorious day. Worship with us this morning as the worship team leads us in a song.